I want to minister for a little while this morning through a message that I'm calling the grace of thanksgiving. One of the most irresistible virtues that I have witnessed in the lives of people that have received the revelation of the finished work of Jesus is that they become very gracious in their thanksgiving. I'm talking about in word and in deed. As this grace that I speak of proliferates in our hearts, so also will the measure of our thanksgiving increase. The more grace I take in, the more thankful I'll be. I mean, it just makes sense, doesn't it? What I want you to see through this message today is this. Thanksgiving is more than a choice. We use that expression, well, you know what? Just be thankful, just do it on purpose. It's a choice, brother. Loving someone is a choice. And I get what you're saying by saying that. Thanksgiving is more than just a choice because even Jesus stood in front of the Pharisees and he said, you know what? Let me tell you what Isaiah said. Isaiah said that your lips praise me, but your hearts are far from me. So it's not about just going through the motions of it, but it's about really believing what you say. It's about believing what you believe in. Thanksgiving is more than a choice. It's more than a biblical mandate. I saw places in the Bible where it says, be thankful. We just sang that song, give thanks. That's in the Bible, you know. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ, his son. It's almost like a biblical mandate. The writer was saying, listen, give thanks, okay? Thanksgiving is more than just a biblical mandate, and it's more than just a choice. Thanksgiving is a grace. It's a grace that reaches out to strangers and orphans and widows. And in the process, it says, thank you. Thank you for letting me take care of you. Thank you for letting me bless you. When they're the ones should be saying thank you. And we're saying thank you for letting me take care of you. It's a grace that reaches out to the lost and dying. And it says thank you for coming into the kingdom of God. It's a grace that reaches to the islands and the distant shores. And says thank you for letting us come into your country with the message from the heart of the Father. It's a grace that reaches out in the church too, into the body of Christ. It's a grace that turns the other cheek when you get slapped. Grace does things that the law is incapable of doing. <laughs> Let me say it again. Grace does things that the law cannot do. It's incapable of doing. You say, there's things that the law cannot do? Absolutely. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. It says, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So what it's saying there is it's saying for the law was powerless. What was the law powerless to do? It was powerless to save us. It was powerless to make us clean. It was powerless to wash us, and it was powerless to stop us from sinning. All that was there was to point out your fault. It was to tell you, you fell short again. You ever been around people like that? They just really don't have anything positive to say, but they'll take a suit like this. Instead of saying that's a nice suit, they'll say, you got a piece of fuzz right there, you know? <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's what the law does, you know? It's always looking to be critical, you know? It's just what it does. The law was powerless to do this because it was weakened by the flesh. The law doesn't have flesh. 
So what flesh are they talking about? Talking about our flesh. In other words, our flesh was more powerful than the law. The law couldn't stop us. Our flesh almost always won. When you get put under the law, your flesh is going to keep winning. It's an empty victory, but it's going to keep winning. Because the law can't stop you. The law can't control you. It's only grace that can restrain you and grace that can pull you and grace that can shape you and grace that can change you. Grace does things that the law is incapable of doing. The year before I got saved, 1994, I received a phone call from my brother with a message that my daddy had died. My daddy had lived in Bloyd, Wisconsin, and then a month earlier, he moved to Bluefield, West Virginia, lived there a month and died. He laid in his bed for five days before they found him. I don't know if you know what happens to the body in five days, but it ain't pretty. It was several days before we could go down there, but we finally made the trip. I picked up a brother and I picked up a sister, and, and away we went, and six of the siblings out of the nine gathered there. On the way down, my brother and my sister said, we want to see Daddy when we get there. I said, I don't think that'd be a good idea. No, we want to see Daddy. I said, I don't think that would be a good idea. We went to that funeral home. We walked in the room, and there laid my Daddy's casket with the lid down. That funeral director who had never known our family walked up to our family and put his arms around us with just grace. And he said after a little bit, why don't you go sit in my office? I'll meet you in there in a few minutes. And so we did. We sat in the office and he came in and he sat down behind his desk. The first thing he did is he wrapped his loving arms around our family with compassion and thanksgiving that we could all make it. We talked about a few different things. And then finally, one of my brothers said, we want to see daddy. I watched that funeral director reach up and take his glasses off and lay him on his desk, and I watched a man begin to weep. It freaked me out, to be honest with you. You don't know us. You didn't know my daddy. He began to weep, and he said this to us. He said, now by law, I can't stop you from going in there and looking at your daddy. But if you do, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. Your daddy's in bad shape. He looked at the brother who asked the question. He said, how heavy was your daddy? If you look at me, it's like looking at my daddy. He was six foot, just like me, 190 pounds. My brother said he weighed 190 pounds. And the funeral director said, for starters, we have done everything humanly possible to relieve the pressure and the swelling and the gases. He said, but your daddy looks like he weighs twice that amount. He looked at us as tears were coming down his face. And he said these words. He said, I know what it feels like to say goodbye to someone you love. I have buried my mom and I have buried my dad and I have buried one of my sons. He said, I know. He said, there is no horror movie that Hollywood has ever produced that will compare to what your daddy looks like. Your daddy is in bad shape. Having said that, all my siblings changed their mind. And I got to thinking, Lord, why? What was going on right there? And he said to me, there is a grace for every situation and circumstance. And what the law was powerless to do Grace lovingly did by restraining us. The funeral director said, by law. It's interesting, he would use those terms, isn't it? By law, he said, I can't stop you. Did we just read where the law was powerless? It can't stop us? He said, by law, I can't stop you. But grace did. Grace did that day. It manifested that day in the form of thanksgiving. It manifested that day in the form of compassion. I believe the grace that that man showed to my family was a seed that went into my heart the very next year I would give my heart to Jesus. And I want you to know something. Every time someone gives their heart to Jesus, I don't believe it's just one little thing that happened. I believe it's a collection of things that have taken place and the words that have been sown into people's hearts. We are graced to live lives of thanksgiving. 
we are graced to be gracious to others. But what about the times? <laughs> what about the times when we don't feel like being thankful? What about the times that we don't feel like giving? What about the times we don't feel like being gracious? What do you do then? How do you respond then? I'll tell you what, most of those times can just simply be prevented. Look at the next scriptures, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. That word confession right there literally translates as thanksgiving. Let us hold fast to our thanksgiving. He's shown us how powerful it is when you walk in thankfulness and thanksgiving. He said, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. When a person finds themselves spewing woes and complaints, it's the first sign, really, that they need to take a trip. <laughs> and here's where they take the trip to. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, why is it so hard to figure that out? I mean, if we need gas, we go to the gas station, right? We need groceries, we go to the grocery store. We don't make anything about that. What about when we need grace? We go to the throne of grace, the Bible says, where you find mercy and you find grace to help us in our time of need. And what I'm getting at when I say that is if we will just go there in a preventative way almost rather than a reactive way, we just go there daily looking for God's grace and His grace just overflows into our heart. Thanksgiving is more than a choice and a biblical mandate. Thanksgiving is a grace, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's the one behind our thanksgiving. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, we find these words. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Let me just camp here for just a moment here. Holiness is something that Jesus deposits on the inside of us, okay? Okay, you ain't holy apart from Jesus. And everything you do ain't going to make you no more holier. Jesus is the one who put holiness on the inside of you. It's his holiness. I wouldn't even want my holiness. I don't even know what my holiness looks like. And there probably is no such thing, but it's his holiness. And it says there, therefore, as the elect of God, holy. And then I love, he says, and beloved. You know what? I want to tell you something. When you remind yourself you're his beloved. When you just remind yourself that you are holy based on what Jesus did. You are beloved based upon what Jesus did. Holy and beloved. And then he says, put on. Oh, man. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bear with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint, <laughs> uh, this just popped in my mind. There's a new lady that started at our work. I saw her in the break room the other day. I said, has anybody, by the way, showed you where the complaint department is? She said, no, nobody showed me where the complaint department is. I walked her over to the pot machine, to the coin slot down there. I said, it's right in here. It's right in there. She looked at me like I was some sort of crazy man. But the Bible says, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. You know, a person cannot walk in complaint and thanksgiving at the same time. That's like saying fresh water and bitter water can flow from the same stream. It just doesn't happen, okay? But above all these things, he says, put 
on love, which is the bond of perfection. You can just see the super glue in here. Love is the bond of perfection. And he says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And then he says, and be thankful. I love that. The last time I checked, the Bible says, love never fails, right? So why did you have to go through this? Okay, we got love. Okay, beautiful. We've got peace. Wonderful. But then he says, to which you were also called in one body, and he says, and be thankful. It kind of reminds me like of a mom who's sending off her 12, 13-year-old kid to spend the weekend at somebody's house, and just before he goes, he's like, do you have your toothbrush? You know, it's like he's doing this. It's like he's going down this little list, and he says, because he's, what he's saying here is he's saying love and peace really will not work unless you're thankful. I mean, how are you really going to love somebody, and how are you going to bring peace if you're not thankful? How are you going to show love? It says, be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and in hymns, come on, Sarah, and in spiritual songs. Watch this now. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Listen, I don't sing very well, but I'll guarantee I sing with grace. (laughs) I guarantee I sing with grace. Oh, man, I sing with grace. And he's saying there, When you do sing, sing songs of grace like we do. Sing songs that minister to the inner man and minister to your soul. Sing songs and spiritual hymns and sing them with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Well, uh, usually what's in the heart, the Bible says, comes out of the mouth. So I try to contain it in my heart, don't I? I really do, but it just keeps popping out. I do this at work all the time, too. It's the weirdest thing. There's 10 people that work in the room that I work in, but yet I'll start singing in there. And it's like, I know I can't sing, but they don't seem to tell me that. But, you know, I mean, it's just the weirdest thing it's in my heart so it just comes out of my mouth (laughs) and then it says and whatever you do in word or deed remember i said that thanksgiving is expressed in word and in deed whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him friends the grace behind thanksgiving is christ that's the grace behind thanksgiving If you take the setting I work at work, it's an office. It's about almost twice the size of this room. And right down the middle are cubicles. Cubicles are like little offices that are joined together. There's 10 of them in there, five on each side. Mine is the very first one you walk into. These cubicles have solid panels, so you can't see through them and see the people that are working next to you. But you can hear them. You can hear them when they start talking. It comes up over the cube. And I walked in the other day. Nobody could see me. And I came in going like this, clapping. And I heard one of the ladies go, hello, Mark. (laughs) And I literally went, how did you know it was me? She said, well, (laughs) Mark, I'm not kidding you. You're the only person we've ever met that claps on their way into work. (laughs) And I'm not kidding you. And then the lady sitting next to her, her voice came up over the cube. She said, yeah, we all clap on the way out. You clap on the way in. It's the weirdest thing. You say, can you explain why you would clap on your way into work? Well, I wasn't clapping just because I was on my way into work. Friends, I was clapping because I had a heart of thanksgiving. I was clapping because the grace of thanksgiving was kind of leaking out. I think I'd just gotten off the phone with Pastor Steve that morning. We talked two or three times this week on the way to work, and I was just joyful, and thanksgiving was bubbling up. You ever have a conversation with Pastor Steve? I guarantee you'll leave more encouraged than when the phone call began. My clapping hands that day were really just the side effect from feeding on the love of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God. That is what makes my heart thankful. Clapping hands begin with a clapping heart. Amen? 
A heart of thanksgiving is a heart that reaches in all directions. A heart of grace is a heart that reaches in all directions. Zig Ziglar, that great man of God and that great motivational speaker, I think he said it best. He was reflecting one time upon thankfulness. And as he was thinking about thankfulness, he said it like this. He said, I look back in forgiveness. I was doing that this morning as I was just meditating and praying before the Lord, just thanking Him for how He rescued me. I don't know where I'd be today. I might be dead today. But you know what? I was thanking Him because I could look back and I could see my broken and tattered and shattered life and I can remember that He rescued me and I was just being thankful. Zig Ziglar said, I look back. I look back in forgiveness. He said, I look forward in hope, like you were talking about, Cindy, that the hope of God does not disappoint us. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. He said, I look back in forgiveness. I look forward in hope. He said, I look down in compassion, and I look up in thanksgiving. You're looking in every single direction, saying, God, what is it? What is it that you want? What is it you want to do? Father, I'm the carrier of grace. I'm the carrier of your love, and I want to release it. I'll come in clapping all the time. Oh, man. I watched a YouTube clip this week. Here's what it was about. They took these different people. There were four or five people that they took, all ages, young and old, men and women, and they had them come in and take a test. They didn't even tell them what the test was about, but it was a test to see how thankful they were. And so they answered all these questions, and they measured their thankfulness. Then the next thing they said, we want you to meditate just for a minute on someone who you're very thankful for in life. Could be your spouse, could be a family member, could be a friend, could be a neighbor, could be a co-worker. But I want you to meditate on someone that you're very, very thankful for. And so they began to dream and think about how thankful they were for that person. Then they said, here's the next thing we want you to do. We want you to write that down. Some of them were just two paragraphs, some were two pages, but they had to write down why they were so thankful for that person. Then they brought out a telephone and they said, now we want you to call them. We want you to read what you wrote on the paper. And I can tell you this was not made up. You could just see there were many, many tears as they had to call people and tell them what they had written about them. And then they had one final test to take, a little questionnaire. It was the same questions they got asked in the beginning, but they were worded different, so they didn't know they were the same questions. Do you know what they discovered? Their thankfulness had risen by about 20% just simply by writing out how thankful you were for somebody and then just calling them and telling them, I want you to know something. I'm really thankful for you. This is the way you've impacted my life. This is the way you've blessed me. That's a good lesson for us that we can pick up the phone and we can just call Haiti. <laughs> we can call Haiti. Praise God. Uh, pay for the call, please. We can call Haiti and we can say, don't call them collect. We can call Haiti or we can call wherever we want. And we've done some of that since they've been gone. But it's so powerful just to call somebody and just say, I'm thankful for you. Thanksgiving is more than a holiday. Thanksgiving is an act of worship. Thanksgiving is a grateful language. 141 times you'll find the word thank or thanks or thanksgiving or thankful in the Bible. It interchanges with words like praise and confession and profession and worship. The Bible is threaded with the word thanksgiving. I want you to look at the word thanksgiving for a moment. Look at that word. Isn't it awesome? I've said this before. This is just my imagination. If you were to take a pair of scissors and cut that 12-letter word in two, it would form two words. It would form the word thanks and the word giving. 
If thanks had a mouth and it could speak to giving, it would say this, I like me best when I'm with you. Just like Jeff and Cindy. We like ourselves better when they come, don't we? Amen. Well, they look better together than they do apart. We often miss the grace of Thanksgiving opportunities because we don't recognize them when they come knocking. There's an opportunity to be gracious. There's an opportunity to be thankful, but we don't recognize it when it comes knocking. These are some of the strangest scriptures that I've ever seen in the Bible. They're found in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 8. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And you know what shameless audacity really means? I mean, shameless, I think we understand that word. Audacity just means courage. That we have a shameless courage. I think the Lord knew what he was saying over here when he said, let the shy say I am bold. We have a shameless courage. A shameless courage. We're so bold. Last week we took Sarah out for her birthday to Olive Garden. Fred and Judy came along as well. We had a wonderful time, but we were sitting there at the table, and you know how they'll come and replenish everything, you know, salads and breadsticks and all those yum-yums. Amen? Come on, Jeff, talk to me about this. He's getting hungry already. Well, anyway, the waitress sat the bowl down next to me of salad, and I picked it up to put it over by Fred and Judy, and it must have just been some salad dressing on the inside of the bowl, and it slipped out of my hands on the way over. You ever heard of toss salad? <laughs> oh, man, it tossed everywhere, didn't it? It was all over. Was it all over the place? It just went all over the place, all over the table, and, and they were going like this and shaking stuff off. It was all over the floor, and the weirdest thing hit me. I just sat there and went, I can't believe I just did that, number one. We laughed about it afterwards. I said to Fred and Judy, I said, you know, here's the weirdest thing. I said, I don't feel a bit condemned over that. Now, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I don't feel the least bit condemnation. I don't feel guilty. I don't feel shameful. I don't feel that way about this. I literally said to them, you can really tell when grace is working in your life, when you have things like that happen and you don't fall apart. Let me contrast that. The waitress, the one that was waiting on us, came over, and she started helping. There was so much to clean up. The waitress is helping Judy. And the waitress is taking responsibility, saying it was her fault. She was standing over here. The salad's over here. I'm not kidding you. She said, I'm the one to blame her. It's my fault is what she said. And Judy's being so gracious. I'm like, no, honey, this wasn't your fault. It was his fault. No, no, she didn't really say that. But I mean, but literally what she said was, when we get hired here, if there are any accidents, we're the ones to be the ones to get blamed for it. And she was trying to tell her, no, no, you're not to blame. You know, that's what the enemy does. Every time we have an accident, every time we have a miscue, every time we have a misstep, every time something happens, the enemy wants to come in and says, you need to take the blame for it. No, we do not need to take the blame for it. Amen? The essence of the story of the man knocking on his friend's door at midnight to borrow bread is this. Gracious Thanksgiving opportunities are not only hard to recognize, gracious Thanksgiving opportunities are not always convenient. You see, this man could have come knocking from nine to five, but he didn't. He waited till midnight and came and knocked on his door. 
sometimes it just comes knocking at the most inopportune times. But I love what David said in Psalm 119, verse 62. He said at midnight, at midnight, he said, I rise to give you thanks. That's the heart of David. It's my heart. He said, wait a minute, at midnight, I don't think he was setting his alarm to get up every single midnight and and give thanks, but he said, listen, what he was saying, in my darkest hour of the night, I can still rise and I can still give thanks to my Lord. I'm graced to be thankful. You're graced to be thankful. David was graced to be thankful. Let me ask you a question. What if you were to awaken tomorrow morning and the only things you had in your entire life were the things that you gave God thanks for today? I think a lot of people would look like Haiti looked after the hurricane came through. Very barren. Very devastated. Would the responsibility of that reality in any way influence you to be thankful today? I bet it would, wouldn't it? (laughs) Amen. Or, what if beginning tomorrow you had to spend an eternity trapped in the situations and with the people that you complained about today. (laughs) Oh man, would the shock of that reality influence you to choose your words more carefully? I bet it would, wouldn't it? Luke chapter 15 is a wonderful chapter. I'm not going there, but I just want to highlight something. Luke chapter 15 consists of three parables. They're powerful. You have the parable of the lost sheep, you have the parable of the lost silver, and the parable of the lost son. They're wonderful stories. There's stories that Jesus told his disciples and Jesus told the people that were listening. He said, let me tell you, let me tell you about this thing. Some time ago, I began to look at those three parables because Jesus gave them all in one breath, in one setting. And I'm thinking, Jesus, they're three unique stories. So what are the common denominators of these stories? And here's what the Lord said. Number one, all of them lost something. One lost a sheep, one lost a coin, one lost a son. All of them lost something. All of them found that which was lost. Found the sheep, found the coin, found the son. All through a party. That's the weirdest thing. You lose a coin for a minute. You lose a nickel, you lose a quarter, and then you spend $1,500 on throwing a party to just celebrate, I found my coin. Do you see the heart of Jesus? When you look at things that are absolutely worthless, and Jesus says, that's worth throwing a party over. Isn't that amazing? And all invited guests, all invited guests. But here's the thing that the Lord brought and highlighted to my attention. All rejoiced. That word rejoiced there is the word kario. It's where we get this word charis, charis, grace. All of them rejoiced. It literally means all of them were thankful. They were all thankful that they had found that which was lost and they wanted to celebrate. The grace of thanksgiving is found in being thankful for that which you already have, whether you can see it or not. Whether you can see it or not, to be thankful, that is the essence and the grace of thanksgiving. Several years ago, there lived a little boy. He was blind, and occasionally he would feel his way downtown, and one day he sat on the steps of a very prominent downtown building. Many people would come by that little boy. He held a cardboard sign in his lap that read on there, I am blind, please help. At his feet lay a hat, his own hat. It had a few coins in there. He couldn't see, but he could hear. He could hear very, very well. A businessman started walking by one day. He stopped and he saw the little boy. He saw the sign. He saw the coins. He reached in his own pocket and he took out some coins and he laid them in the hat. He said to the little boy, he said, can I see your sign for a moment? The little boy said, yeah. 
He took the sign, turned it over, and took a magic marker out of his pocket, and he wrote a new message on the sign. He gave it back to the little boy. That little boy's hat began to just teem with money. Money was coming in like crazy. Everybody that walked by wanted to give to this little boy. A little bit later that afternoon, that businessman decided, I'm going to go check on that little boy. He was still there. Why would you want to leave? Money is pouring in, right? He was still there. In the quietness of that moment, as that businessman walked up, that little boy recognized his manner of walk and his footsteps. He said, excuse me. He said, are you the man that changed my sign earlier this morning? He said, I am. He said, I've got to ask you, what did you write? He said, I wrote really the same thing you did, just a different way. He said, I wrote, today is a beautiful day, but I can't see it. Today is a beautiful day, but I can't see it. Both sides of that cardboard sign told people he was blind. Both sides, one just flat out said, I am blind. The other one said, in spite of my blindness, today is a beautiful day. We need to start thanking our Father, God, before we see the manifestation of healing, before we see the manifestation of our bank account, before we see the manifestation of relationships being healed. We need to allow the grace of thanksgiving to be the beauty that rises from the ashes of midnight. Friends, I want to tell you something. Our missionaries didn't come from Haiti to tell us that Haiti was devastated by Hurricane Matthew. All your major networks can tell you that. They didn't come here to tell you that Haiti is one of the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere. Wikipedia can tell you that. They've come to rest and be with family for the Thanksgiving and Christmas season. They've come to herald the good news that we can partner with them. We can rise up. You can hear what they've done in Haiti. You can see how they've impacted lives for eternity. And listen, there is no way to measure what they've done. But because they've had thankful, clapping hearts, graced hearts of thanksgiving, this is the impact. That has begun in Haiti. I want to encourage every person here to support their mission work. Everybody can do something. I don't care if it's $5 a month, $10 a month. The Lord said, tell them. Tell them. Everybody can do something. Everybody can do something. I want to remind you that TBN, the greatest network on television, was built with $5 gifts and $10 gifts, not million-dollar gifts. You see, when we do this, when we help and we support these causes, we get to look back in forgiveness. We get to look forward in hope. We get to look down in compassion. And we get to look up with thanksgiving and gratitude. Hallelujah. In Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44, we find these words. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. This is the heartbeat of Jesus. He's saying, come with me to a quiet place. That's what he's done with you guys. He says, come with me to a quiet place where you're not always giving out, but I want to have an opportunity to pour this grace and this love in you so that you can take that light and that love and that grace back to the islands. He said, come away and get some rest so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from the towns and got there ahead of them when jesus landed and saw a large crowd he had compassion on them did you see that all he had to do was look at them and all of a sudden compassion began to well up in his heart he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd so he began teaching them many things 
By this time it was late in the day, so the disciples came to Jesus. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. (laughs) Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. Somebody's got to give it out, folks. Somebody's got to be the ones giving, right? We get to give into ministries. We get to give into the gospel that someone else can give it to them so that they can have something to eat. That's all you're really doing. You're over there and you're giving them something to eat. You're giving them the heart of the Father. You're giving them the message of love and grace and mercy and kindness and the said blessing of the Lord. They said to him, Jesus, wait a minute now, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? And then Jesus asked them the question, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five. We've got five loaves of bread, and we've got two fishes. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. You know, listen, my wife preached about the shepherd last week, right? She talked about Yahweh, Ra'a. And the Bible says that he makes them to lie down in what kind of pastures? Green pastures, not burned up pastures, not devastated pastures, not rocky places. He causes them to lie down in green pastures. And he had them sit down on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Listen, there's nothing in the word of God that's there by mistake or just as a filler word. The number 100 in the Bible stands for promise. You see, it was Abraham that was 100 years old when Isaac was born, the very promised child. There were 100 sheep, and the Bible says when one gets lost, one gets separated, that shepherd, I promise you, he says, I promise you, if you've got a loved one that seems to have lost their way, he said, I promise you, that shepherd will leave the 99. He'll leave them in safety, and he will go, and he will search. It's not that he might go, he will go, and he will search until he finds that lost sheep. It's a promise that we have from God. And Jesus said, listen, I'm going to tell you something. You want to follow me? I'm going to tell you something. You leave everything behind you, and I guarantee, he said, in this life, not only in the world to come, but even in this life, you'll have a hundredfold return. A hundred always speaks of promise. The number 50 speaks of jubilee. It talks about the year people were set free. It talks about the year that debts were canceled. It talks about the year that it was a year of joyful celebration and thanksgiving because we've been set free. That's where we are today. We've received this promise from God that can never change, never perish, never spoil. And that is the promise that you have been set free free. So you see God hiding all these wonderful little nuggets in hundreds and fifties of people sitting on the grass. Taking the five loaves, what does five represent? Five is the number for grace. I've told you that a million times. Five is the number for grace. Two is the number for agreement. You can't have agreement unless you have two people. I gotta agree with you, brother. We shake hands. That's agreement. Five is the number for grace. Two is the number for agreement. And when you take five plus two, you get rest. And it's just simply there just saying, listen, when you come into the agreement that grace, grace supplied everything you've got, it's only then that you'll be able to rest. You'll be able to rest in his goodness. Oh, I love this. Taking the five loaves and the two fish. And here's what Jesus did. The Bible says, and looking up to heaven. Oh, I highlighted that. Remember, I told you Thanksgiving is about looking up. And looking up to heaven, the Bible says, Jesus gave thanks and then broke the loaves. 
You notice that it's not this long prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, there's 5,000 men plus women and children. I would estimate that to be between 19 and 20,000 people, Daddy. Uh, Daddy, I've got five loaves of bread and I've got two fish. They're about the size of sardines. So I don't know how you're going to do this, Daddy, but I believe that you're going to do this, Daddy. No, he just said, hey, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Amen. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces. I want to tell you something. When there's God in the picture, you're always going to have leftovers when God is doing this. They picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. By the way, I left out a very important and intentional detail. I intentionally left out the fact that prior to this situation of Jesus feeding the 5,000, Jesus had just received news that his cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded by King Herod. It had just come to him. His disciples brought the news back. Jesus loved John. John was the one that baptized Jesus. Jesus loved his cousin John, and he just received this word. Wow. Surely this would have been a time that we would have understood if Jesus took a day off from being gracious or thankful. And let's just have a pity party. Let's just get mad. Let's just do something. Let's take one day off. I'm really fired up. I'm really mad. A time when you would have thought that the grace of thanksgiving would have stopped flowing, but no. You know what happened? It intensified. It increased. It increased. The one thing I love about this particular miracle right here is other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. It's the only one. Matthew said it's got to go in my gospel. Mark said it belongs in mine. Luke said, yes, I'll take it. And John said, yes, i got to preach about it too. It's the only one. So this was powerful. My descent, Psalm chapter 100, verses 1 through 5 in closing. We used to sing this song growing up in church. And it was that song truly that never ends. Once you started singing it, it just didn't seem like there was ever a place to end it. This is the song that does it. You know, it just keeps going on and on, my friend. It just seems like Psalm 100 is like that for some reason. And we would say it like this. You know, this is the powerful thing about Scripture. Again, in the day, people memorized it through song. That's why David said, sing in spiritual songs and hymns. You memorize Scripture based on a song. You put a tune to it. We would sing, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye, all ye lands, serve the Lord, the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing, know ye that the Lord, he is God, it is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves, come on sir, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, there it is, and into his courts with praise, be thankful unto him, and bless, bless his name for the Lord, the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting and his truth his truth endureth his truth endureth to all generations praise God then we sing hallelujah glory hallelujah praise God hallelujah and then we start it all over again oh we start back at the first one make a joyful noise unto the Lord oh anyway enter into his gates the Bible says with thanksgiving we're already on the inside of his gate we're already on the inside of his door and we're in there with thanksgiving and power and purpose oh and into his courts with praise and it says again be 
thankful unto him and bless his name. That's all I want to live for is keep blessing my Jesus. Keep thanking my Jesus in Jesus' name. And then it says this, for the Lord is good. And then it says his mercy, his mercy is everlasting. That word mercy right there is the Hebrew word hesed. It's better translated as the grace of God. It's literally saying his grace is everlasting. That shouldn't be a new revelation for you. That's what grace does. It never wears out. It never runs out. It never hides. It's always there. His grace is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. Friend, Psalm 100 is none other than a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Psalm 100 ends with the triumphant grace message, for the Lord is good. His mercy, his has set grace is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. I want you to jump over into the New Testament. Look at John chapter 1, verse 14. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He already prophesied it was coming through him in Psalm 100. There's the shadow, there's the substance. It's always been about Jesus. Friends, the wonderful message that reaches out to us from the scriptures is this. The grace of thanksgiving is Christ. Amen. Father, I want to thank you in Jesus' name. I have preached myself happy. My heart is still clapping. My heart is still rejoicing. I'm thankful, Father. I've got thanksgiving hands. I've got a thanksgiving wallet. I've got a thanksgiving mind. I've got a thanksgiving tongue. I've got a thanksgiving soul. I've got a thanksgiving will. And I've got thanksgiving, God-given emotions. And I want to thank you, Father. The only reason I can say I have that is because of what Jesus did. He did it all on the cross, Father, so that we can stand and say, the grace of thanksgiving is Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.